0: Believer is not one of of inactivity. For a Christian believer, we're we're not saved to to sit back and and enjoy the benefits. We're not saved to to rest on our laurels. To use the imagery of of sailing, uh, we, we are not on a cruise ship as customers. No, we're on a battleship and we all have to row. To stretch the battle image even further, uh, We're we like soldiers sent on a, on a mission on, on enemy soil. Paul talks like that in Second Timothy, doesn't he? We're sent out by our commander-in-chief. But what is the mission? What's the mission? We can find something of the answer in, in Mark chapter 6, I'm going to say to you this morning. When, when Cherith and I uh, served uh, with, a, with a mission in Southeast Asia in 2011, we, we, we spent nine months volunteering for a mission. And people used to come from all over the world um, for a week or two on short-term trips. And we would gather all of them together in a room uh, with a flip chart and we would explain to them the mission for the day. We called it the briefing. And you would understand why. And that was uh, instructions and how we were going to collectively carry as many Bibles as possible across the border in secret. That's what we would do. We would say to them, you know, you, you lift your Bibles here, you take them here, you get this train to here, you get off this train here, uh, you, you walk across this bridge here, you do this here, uh, you, you get the subway train down to this, uh, and, and you get out and you meet a man here. That's the sort of thing we would explain to them. And stay calm and be prayerful, he would say to them. Here in this passage that we've, that we've read, Jesus sends out his disciples on a trial mission that is very much a precursor to what they will do when he leaves them at the end of his mission. He's showing them. He's giving them instructions. He's even telling them how they will be received. Only two points this morning, two parts to this. Uh, firstly, what to do what to do. Jesus is expanding his ministry. Multiplication is, is the way his kingdom will grow uh, in the future. And so it starts here in Mark 6. Uh, that's what that's what, in fact what Jesus means in, in John 14 when he says, truly, truly I say to you whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. That's multiplication. That's the idea. Greater works than these. The twelve disciples are being shown the ropes in three key ministry areas that Jesus has been doing already. Jesus has been driving out demons. You remember that. And in verse 7 and in verse 13 we're told that that's what they're to do. That's part of the mission of the twelve. Jesus has been um, healing the sick. And in verse 13 it tells us that that's part of the mission of the twelve. They're to do the same. And Jesus has been proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of his father. Uh, and clearly in verse 12, they are to do the same. What Jesus has been doing, they were to do. Jesus' mission is, is now their mission. And he's given them three additional instructions that would shape how uh, they were to carry out their mission. Their ministry was to be itinerant. That's clear. They're there to journey through the villages without a home base, as it were. Uh, they were to travel light, they're not to take any bread with them it says, uh, no bag to beg with, that's probably what that was. No money in their belts, no safety net. Only one tunic under their cloak. They weren't to bring a second tunic uh, in in case of cold weather. And no just a just a walking stick, probably to, to ward off the wild animals. A single tunic uh, and a belt. And a pair of sandals for the dusty, stony roads, just the bare necessities. They're like the children of Israel leaving Egypt in a hurry, aren't they? Pack light, you're in a hurry. Many hints of, of, of the Exodus here. Wear your sandals, which in the children of Israel they never wore out, you remember? And a staff, which is, is like what, what Moses had as they made their way. Towards the promised land. And the third piece of instruction for the mission. Was to rely on hospitality. To stay with people. And eat with people who would receive them. In the places where they went. Every stop was a temporary one. Just like it was in, in the Exodus. It's, it's, it's do as I do. For, for the disciples. Jesus has been doing this. He's been casting out demons. He's been healing. He's been proclaiming the kingdom of God. And so they must. He's been itinerating around the villages. He's been traveling light. And he's probably more than likely been using hospitality. And so the 12th emerged to do the same. And of course the obvious question then is. As we ask what is the mission. Is it the same for us? Does it go Jesus to the disciples. To to us. To you and I. Is that that the way it works? We're always faced um, with the difficulty in the narrative in the, in the Gospels the story of the Gospels or, or what goes on in the book of Acts to, to, to ask what is, what is a direct example to follow and what, what is not we're always faced with that difficulty what's for them and what's for all time and we need to tread carefully don't we notice the particulars these are particular men disciples are by definition learners that's what that means uh, and everyone who follows Jesus is, is a learner. We've got like an L-plate up for the rest of our lives. That's the idea. Uh, and, and these men um, are, 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 are disciples. But they're not just disciples uh, in the general sense that, that we all are. They're also apostles. Look at verse 30. The verse after what I read. The apostles returned. To, they're called apostles. You can see them referred to that as such. Referred to as that. Apostle, of course, is a different word. It, it, it means someone who's been an eyewitness to the risen Lord Jesus. That, that makes them special. And, of course, I don't think there are any eyewitnesses in Dundonald Baptist this morning to the risen Lord Jesus. It makes them special. Uh, so, so, for that reason, we're not called to exactly the same mission. We're not called to cast out demons. We're not called to, to heal sick people. Uh, we do pray for them of course and God heals sometimes and often it's a particular man it's It's also a particular time this is the time between Bethlehem and the cross Jesus is is, is walking the roads of Palestine at this time with the disciples this is a one off time and, and so there are one off instructions even uh, in still in the New Testament, but but after the cross, you'll remember that the Apostle Paul goes on plenty of missionary journeys, and uh, he, he he travels very much much more prepared than they do. In fact, he he, he certainly isn't relying on hospitality in, in Acts chapter six, chapter eighteen because we're told that he's tent making. He's tent making. So so some of this list drops off even in a later New Testament period for an Apostle called Paul. He also saw the risen Lord. So this is not a blueprint for all of us, is it? The three tasks that, that, that he gives them and the three instructions that, 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 that help to, to shape the, the mission, it's not a blueprint for all of us. Because as disciples, the vast majority of us are, are not called to go anywhere, in a sense. We're, we're called to remain where we are to be to be witnesses. Some of us, of course, are called to go elsewhere, and if and if you are, you, you follow the Lord and, and the church sends you out, and the fields are white unto harvest, and the labourers are few, and surely the Lord has placed and is placing on the hearts of some who are who are able and gifted for, for overseas mission or service in another part of this land or island. And yes, some who are, are called to, to, to travel, perhaps as conference speakers or, or even evangelists. That's what God calls certain people to do. But of course, the norm uh, is to remain where we are, to, 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 to look at the people around us as, as our field of concern, to think about the people that we live near or work near, or our family, to ruin the nearest boat, to, to serve in the nearest regiment. And of course those who do go travelling are are not sent without any money or without any earthly possessions and and limited clothing. I haven't been to visit, uh, but I'm fairly sure that Richard and Therese, uh, that's not their way of operating. Uh, We don't expect uh, them to to find a welcoming home everywhere they go in, in France and to see that as a way of providing a roof over their head. No, we don't do that. It's also a particular audience, isn't it? Who are these people, who are these 12 ministering to in Mark chapter 6? Jesus sends them out to the villages of, of Israel, doesn't he? These are Jewish people. These are ones who, by popular view, were were all right. They were, they were, they were, they were God's own people. They were, they were fine, surely. No. They were to be a light to the Gentiles. Were they not, were they not okay? No. They're the ones that are being called to repent. You see it there? Notice that Jesus, he almost treats the people of Israel like they're a pagan nation here. You see that? You say, how do you mean? Do you know what happened when the Jewish people ventured across the border into Gentile territory? They didn't do it very often, but when they did, when they came back on the return, they would dust their feet Because they didn't want any contamination from that Gentile nation to come into the Holy Land. That's what dusting off your feet means. And that's exactly what Jesus tells them to do when they weren't received. Jesus is telling the disciples that, that they are passing through a pagan land. Even though it's geographically Israel. Just like at the time of the Exodus, by the way. Not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, says Paul in Romans 9. Plenty of ungodly here, Jesus says, that need to be called to repent. And of course there's that later incident of Herod, uh, this sort of puppet, uh, Roman king of the Jews, that's actually behaving more like a pagan Roman emperor, emperor than he is like anything like a Jewish man should. There are four Herods in the New Testament. This is the second one of the four. Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great. And he's behaving not like a king of the Jews. He's behaving like Caesar or something like that, isn't he? These are a very particular set of circumstances for a very particular group of 12 men sent to a particular people at a particular time. Okay, that's great. You told us what it isn't. But but what use is that this morning to us, Richard? The key question is, what does carry on? What remains? How can we take home what we need for mission 2018 here? Well, I want to say this morning that what remains is the most important part. It's, it's, the, it, it, it's the part with the longest lasting results. Now, what's that? It's the part with the eternal impacting results. That's what remains. Of these three areas of ministry, it's the part that Jesus always has as number one priority. You remember last week, whenever he couldn't, he could do very few miracles in Nazareth because of their unbelief, but he still taught this. Remember in chapter one when he when he says in verse thirty eight what his main concern is let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. That's why I'm here. That's my primary function here on earth. And for us it's that same message. It's the teaching of that same message. That's what remains. Our mission is to proclaim that people should repent. It's there in verse 12. Our message is the same. It's the proclamation of the good news that the king has come. The king has come. The good news is that, that he's going to establish his reign on the earth. The good news is that he's going, to, he's going to bring justice. The good news that, that he's going to put every wrong right. The good news is that he's going to, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to bring an end to evil and an end to sin because he's going to judge the world and of course the problem is that in the light of that good news there is major bad news because we contribute to that problem in the world don't we? we contribute to that sin in the world we're part of the problem you put it like that And as such we stand in danger of judgment. That's that's where we stand. And the good news is only good news to us if, if, if the response that we give is fitting. Such good news demands a response before it's any good to us. And the response is given to us in verse 12. We need to repent, it says. To seek forgiveness. To fall on the mercy of a loving God and a, and a saviour who, who dies for us. And if you're going to, to share the message as part of your mission, well you need your mouth. You can't proclaim without it. That's, that's, that, that word in the original is like to announce, like, like a town crier might, 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 might declare the message. You can't pave the way you, you can you can pave the way with your life and conduct, but you need your mouth eventually. We tell people of their need to, to get ready. Because judgment is coming. And, and and you're in a hurry. We've packed light because, because we're in a hurry to tell you. We're we're in a rush. Here that there's judgment coming. Repent now, we're in a hurry and you're in a hurry. And it's not just love Jesus. It's not just believe in Jesus. It's, it's also to, to repent. Repent and believe. It's both, isn't it? Here it's just put as repent. But it's clearly both. Because when you proclaim, well you're proclaiming Jesus, aren't you? And you, you have to show the problem and declare him to be the only solution. That, that's to believe in Jesus. That's what it means. Paul speaks of it in Acts 20. Repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same message. It's also the same provision. Because these are not perfect men that have been sent out, are they? They're not straight A students by any stretch of the imagination. Far from it. They've gotten in the way in chapter 1. They've they've said things they shouldn't have in chapter 2. They've been fearful and confused in chapter 3 and and chapter 4 and chapter 5. If you know anything about the disciples, you'll know that they make plenty of mistakes. Yet it's not about the equality of the disciple, is it? It's about the authority and the equipping of the one who provides everything they need. That's what this is all about in terms of what you take with you. He's the one that's going to provide for you. He provides all you need for the mission, and this is what they need for the mission. They don't need anything else. they just they need to rely on him. That's good for us to remember as we follow our mission God gives us all that we need we travel light in this world in a sense that we're, we don't get so entangled in civilian affairs that we lose our main focus to use the language of what we read earlier in Second Timothy you see your kingdom work is more important than your paid work you realise that your kingdom work is your priority it's, it's the most important work It is. Because that's eternal. Everything else passes away. That's more serious. That's more important. This mission is, is, is the most important thing. Proclaiming the good news. And it's also the same scope. Because the point is. You get the idea. If you proclaim the message to those uh, apparently who did not need it, then the idea is that it's for absolutely everybody. If it's clear that you're giving the message to those that, 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 that by popular definition are okay, then surely it's for everybody. Even for people that are morally upstanding that you know, even for people that, that seem like good people that you know, even if, if, they, if, even if they know already... Even if you think they won't respond well. Even if if you think they'll respond badly. Even if they're hostile. Which leads us to the second and final point. What to do and what now to expect. What to expect. When uh, the United Nations arrived in Somalia in 1992, they did so with the intention of averting a civil war by being peacekeepers. They thought they were there to keep the peace. But as far as the locals concerned, they were legitimate targets for war. By the time the Americans arrived, the briefing had completely changed as they left for Mogadishu. As they went on their mission, it was no longer keep the peace. It was be aware that they are hostile against you. They will shoot down helicopters, and they did. They will believe that you are the enemy. And you are in grave danger. Our mission will, will meet a variety of responses. Now that we are clear on the work that Jesus has, has commissioned us to do. Uh, the, the work of proclaiming the gospel. Uh, the, the work of calling for a re- response of repentance. Such a, a response is not always what, what what comes, is it? And for that reason it's, it's actually easy to get discouraged because if it's the most important message in the world, if it's a life-giving message, if it's a message that makes perfect sense to you and I, then why would you not, would you not accept it? You might think it would be a dumb deal. You might think it would be obvious. But, but I, and, and we could get disillusioned by that. We might think there's some problem with the gospel. We might think there's some problem with... No. No, Jesus says, hang on a minute. The response is varied. The response is varied. Look at the response in the villages. We saw this last week. Jesus was showing them that in Nazareth he was rejected. And so it's no surprise for the servants to receive the same treatment. Jesus gives them an introduction for what they are to, to receive, what they are to do in a particular place that, 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 that accepts them. You see it there in verse 10. You stay in the house if they, if they allow you to and, and then you move on. That's, that's what happens in other words Jesus is telling them they're going to be accepted in some places. And then he carries on and he gives them instructions for what they are to do if they are not received in a particular place because he's telling them he knows that in particular places that they will not be received very well. He's giving them a heads up. He's giving them a briefing. You're going to be rejected he says in certain places and you brush the dust off your feet. Shake it off when you come out of there. We have a heads up given by Jesus' implication of what he says to them. And then we have a living example, don't we, in the life of John. The whole of this section from verse 14 onwards is a a bit of a departure from the narrative. It's a bit of a flashback uh, in Mark's account of what happened to John the Baptist And it's framed in this idea that that people are confused with who Jesus is. So that's another possible reaction. It's confusion. Rejection and now confusion. The vital question that runs through Mark is what? It's who is Jesus? Remember that? It's back again. And we're told that Jesus is famous. Uh, His name has become well known in verse 14. It's reached Herod. Herod. Uh, But but who he is confuses people. And people do with new information what they always do. They try to explain the new thing inside the existing categories that they already know. So we've got King Herod. And he comes across this idea that jesus uh, he's heard about Jesus. uh, The news reaches him. and, And well, of course, he remembers. He remembers John. Uh, he remembers the sort of thing that John said to him and uh, the sort of language that John used. Uh, and he, and he thinks, well, Jesus seems to be teaching the same thing as John. And he, and he joins the dots and he says, yes, that's John back from the dead. He puts it inside what he already knows. And that's what he comes up with. And in other people, for them, it, he must be Elijah, uh, because uh, of course he, he's raised someone from the dead. Remember, in the in the Old Testament, and um, and and for the for the well-versed Jewish person, uh, the very last verses of the Old Testament in Malachi say that um, before the Messiah comes, Elijah comes back again. So they're looking for him, and they're saying, oh, "It must be Elijah, it must be Elijah," and of course. Elijah never died, so it makes sense for him to come back again, right? <laughs> and then other people are saying, well, well you know, he must be with some of the Old Testament prophets. So somebody like, like, like uh, Moses or, or Enoch, who of course never died either. He was taken. So maybe it's him. And so they put it into the framework of what they already know. And they come up with the idea that it's maybe Elijah, maybe Enoch, maybe some Moses or John the Baptist. But you can't put new wine in old wineskins. To get who Jesus is right, you need a dramatic overhaul. You need a whole new mindset. To put it plain, we need God to reveal to us before we get it right. Otherwise we just get it wrong again and again. So there's plenty of confusion to go along with the rejection. John, of course, is the Elijah that comes before the Lord. Jesus tells us that in Matthew eleven. He is the Elijah. And what happens to John? Well, his response is worse than all. It's hatred. Hatred. Because he he proclaims the good news, doesn't he? He proclaims it to King Herod. And that results in a a clear position on sin. Isn't that right? Sin of a particular type that he speaks to Herod about. Uh, Sin of a of a sexual nature. A moral issue of that type. And John stands out on that and, and hatred comes his way. Of course you're not allowed to marry your, husband, your brother's wife according to the law. Of course a wife is not allowed to divorce her husband according to the law. And John, he, he calls them out on it. I'm not sure if um, Herod asks John for his view on this. Or if John tells him of his own bat, But either way, John doesn't shirk it. He tells him. It's not lawful. It's sin. And that's the stuff that God judges. And and you need to repent or you're going to face judgment. Of course, this was not the only sin that Herod committed. And John was not sinless either. But on this particular Hot potato issue. John told him what God said, and this is a challenge. This isn't it. You'd be thinking about this this morning already. When we're asked about a of a sin of a particular type, a sexual sin, or when we're confronted with this sort of thing as acceptable and normal, what do we do? Plenty of reasons to say nothing, aren't there? Maybe you're thinking, who, who am I to judge? But, but of course, we, we all sit under the authority of God, and, and He's the one that's judging, and, and He judges all of us by the same standard. And, and of course, you, you don't come, come about it in a, in a sort of self righteous way, as if you're sinless, because you're not. Uh, and you don't use jargon so that people don't understand, and that results in confusion. And there would also need to be some sort of a relationship there um, where, where someone knows that you're actually concerned about them. You're not just sort of, you know, coming through like a, like, like a bull in a china shop. But you are the messenger who, got, who, who knows what God says in his word. Uh, and you pray and you seek to be wise uh, and, and you look for an opportunity when you can tell them. And you say don't we say don't shoot the messenger. But that is just what they do, isn't it, here? Herodias hates John. That's the result of what he said to, to her and, and, and Herod. This is very much like Elijah versus King Ahab in the in the Old Testament, isn't it? Moses or John the Baptist is, 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 is like Elijah back again, like it. He, he isn't Elijah but he's like it. And, and, and King Herod's like King Ahab and, and the two of them are sort of, you know and who's, 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 who's in the background? The old wicked Queen Jezebel pulling the strings. John didn't hate Herod. He was loving him. Remember that? He was loving him by warning him Herod was quite enamoured with John. He was a sort of he had a sort of arm's length rapport with him, where he where he locked him up in prison, but that was sort of to keep him safe. And and he and Herodias is the one with the, the grudge against him, but, but Herod doesn't want anything to happen to him. So he sort of keeps him there because he knows he's a righteous man and and, and he and he and he and he's he's he lets him out to, 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 to he wants he listens to him, he, he speaks with him and he, and he's glad to hear him it says even though it perplexes him at the same time. He has a strange sort of arm's length rapport with John the Baptist. And Herodias, of course, she waits her time. And at the birthday party the golden opportunity arrives, and uh, all the great and the good arrive, and nobles and military commanders, and the entertainment comes out, and Herod is flattered, and he and he offers the young lady who dances up to half the kingdom up to half the kingdom. This is probably an expression because actually the Romans wouldn't have let him give away anything like that. He he wasn't even really in control at all. You know that? We can probably imagine the sort of thing going on with the alcohol flowing. But the girl is fully sober and aware of the opportunity presented and goes straight to her evil mother. And so saving face causes Herod to do what he didn't want to do. And dear John the Baptist is beheaded, and his head is brought in on a platter and given to Herodias, and he loses his head for the gospel. That's plain and simple, isn't it? Jesus is giving the disciples a heads up, he's giving them a briefing so they're not bewildered in the battle. Rejection, very likely. Confusion, very likely. Hatred, very possible. William Carey had to wait seven years before he baptised his first convert in India. The rest rejected, were confused, or hated him. Adoniram Judson had to wait six years to see his first convert in Burma, and he died thinking he was a failure by that yardstick. The rest rejected, were confused, or hated him. But he was anything but a failure because his legacy lives on even today. Our success and our mission, remember our mission? To to proclaim the good news, uh, to call to repentance. Uh, Our success is not measured by the response. No. It's measured by our faithfulness. It's measured by our commitment to the cause. It's measured by our love for him in this regard. We plant others water and God gives the increase your mission should should you choose to accept it is to proclaim the good news and call to repentance your mission will receive a variety of responses consider your mission this week in the home of a neighbor or friend at a seniors event in the office in the staff room or at a coffee shop. Down by the shops. Don't be put off on your mission. Some seed falls on the good ground. Some some, some will respond with repentance. Do you know that? God is at work. You don't know who they are. But God is at work in the lives of some people you know. And the temptation is real, isn't it? The, the temptation is that we keep silent. That we, that we keep our heads down. Isn't it? That's really tempting. That, that we sort of embrace a, a kind of personal, personal faith. It's a personal faith, alright, but we make it so personal that nobody even really knows. Or we could edit down the message, couldn't we? We can make it a bit more palatable. So that it embraces more than it currently embraces. And thereby we're, we're, we're well received. Or we could get disillusioned, couldn't we? We could get disillusioned by the lack of positive response and think there's something wrong with the gospel, think there's something wrong with with, with serving him in the way he's told us to. When there isn't it's just expected. It's in the briefing. But that's not the mission. Or we could be faithful. And realize that God works through his people. When he accomplishes his mission through us. That's how he works, you know. We're his hands and feet, we're his soldiers. Don't leave your post. Because we have a God that unto him who is is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. You hear that? There's power at work within you. There's a God who's able at work within you. And this is your mission. Let's accept it. Let's be faithful. Let's pray.